Welcome to the Transportation Authority of Marin. Uh, commissioner meeting, December 14th, 6 p.m. Uh, I'd like to uh, welcome everyone to tonight's meeting. And Jennifer, can I get a roll call, please? Commissioner Blaustein, absent. Commissioner Carmel? Here. Commissioner Carroll? Here. Commissioner Collin? Present. Commissioner Catrano? Present. Commissioner Farrakh? Here. Commissioner Fredericks? Here. Chemnitzer? Here. Commissioner Cool is absent. Commissioner Moulton Peters? Absent. Commissioner Ravazio? Absent. Commissioner Rice? Absent. Commissioner Rodoni? Absent. Commissioner Sackett? Absent. Vice Chair Lucan? Here. Chair Colbert? Uh, most definitely here. You have a quorum. Thank you, Jennifer. Can you provide the public participation announcements? Yes, thank you. This meeting will be conducted as a hybrid meeting. The Zoom webinar link has been provided as well as accommodations for in-person attendance. There are a number of ways that the public may participate in today's discussion. For members of the public participating in person, the board chair will recognize persons from the audience who wish to address the board during public open time or on a particular agenda item at the time that item is considered by the board. Members of the public participating by Zoom may provide verbal comment on any item during the open time for that particular item by using the raised hand feature or dialing star nine and waiting to be called upon to provide your comment. Meeting related comments may also be sent to info at tam.ca.gov and will be read when the specific agenda item is considered by the board and will become part of the public record. Please note that there is a two minute limit per comment. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. Uh, before we move on to uh, agenda item number one, I'd just like to inform the board uh, and the public that item uh, number nine, uh, update on the Richmond Bridge San Rafael, on the update on the Richmond San Rafael Bridge informational item will now be moved to January. And with that, um, the chair's report is pretty simple. We had a, a really great holiday party at Sam. I'd like to thank um, everyone that came and was able to participate. But always, uh, to me, the highlight is always the support that we provide for 10,000 Degrees. It's, it's a really excellent nonprofit that's providing really outstanding uh, opportunities for uh, our youth here in the community. So with that, we'll move on to agenda item number two, commissioner reports and commissioner matters not on the agenda. We will be skipping tonight's uh, MTC report. Um, uh, Commissioner Lucan, why don't we go to you first for the SMART report, and then we'll go on to the Marin Transit report. Uh, great. I actually don't have much of a SMART report. Uh, we have not met since the last TAM board meeting. Our SMART monthly meeting is actually next week. Uh, so the first time in a long time I will not be reporting that SMART remains number one in ridership returns since uh, the pandemic, um, even though I guess I just stated that. Um, but I will qu uh, quickly mention we did have the uh, holiday toy drive, the Holiday Express, uh, the weekend before last. It was a very festive, uh, dec decorated smart train. Santa was on board and uh, lots of toys were donated for Toys for Tots. That's my smart report. Thank you, Commissioner Lucan. Uh, Commissioner uh, Rice is uh, unable to join us tonight, so I will be providing a very brief Marin Transit update. Uh, we'll just cover two topics briefly. The first is a fare collection study. Marin Transit is collect uh, conducting a study of fare collection and evaluating options to replace fare boxes. Uh, at our last meeting, we got a, a full range of the opportunities and possibilities, including integration with Clipper 
And then uh, Marin Transit is also uh, studying the benefits and challenging of offering free fares. So we'll continue to provide updates as both of those move forward. Jennifer, any public comment uh, in the chamber? Uh, this concerns actually matter the, the reports we just gave. Thank you, Patrick. Any Zoom comments on that, Jennifer? I don't see any hands raised at this time, Chair. Excellent. We'll move on to item number three, the executive director's report. Anne? Okay. Good evening, everyone. Uh, I do actually have a fair number of things to report on tonight, especially since the board did not meet in November. And um, I want to start with some exciting funding announcements. Uh, Jennifer, if you go to the first slide. So uh, just yesterday, the U.S. Department of Transportation announced the award of over $800 million in 385 safe streets and roads for all grants throughout the country. And um, one of those is going to TAM. Uh, we had a requested $544,000, and that is the recommended award amount. So we're really excited about this. Um, you may recall at the last meeting, we talked about the infrastructure bill, um, and this is actually one of the new programs in the IIJA, and uh, it is a pretty sizable program. It's $5 billion over five years, and the purpose of the program is to improve roadway safety by significantly reducing or eliminating roadway fatalities and serious injuries, and it's one of the few programs in which planning uh, and demonstration projects are eligible as well as kind of implementation or capital projects. So um, the TAM project is to develop a school access safety action plan, which would build off the work of the Safe Routes to Schools program and the local road safety plan that we are wrapping up um, to provide some additional safety planning in school areas. Um, we are really excited about this opportunity and uh, we'll certainly be working with USDOT to secure the funds with a grant agreement over the coming months. Next slide. Uh, more IIJA news. So on November 30th, the Federal Transit Administration announced 220 million in grant awards to 13 projects throughout the nation uh, to improve and modernize passenger ferry service. 13 uh, of the, there were 13 projects and two were in the Bay Area. So uh, worth noting the Golden Gate Bridge District is receiving $6 million to replace the Sausalito Ferry Landing. Uh, this new landing will replace the aging float and improve safety and service. And then the Bay Area Water Emergency Transportation Agency uh, also received a grant of almost $16 million to retrofit floats um, at San Francisco and their terminals in the city of Alameda. So uh, more infrastructure money coming to the Bay Area through that program. And then just last week, the California Transportation Commission approved a $50 million grant to help MTC and Caltrans with the work along the State Route 37 corridor. Um, this funding in particular will be used for uh, restoration of the tidal marsh known as the Strip Marsh East, which is in Solano County, um, as well as for the replacement and lengthening of the existing Highway 37 bridge over Tole Creek, where the new bridge will um, allow for creek flow and restoration opportunities. So these uh, improvements are part of the Sears Point to Mare Island improvement project uh, in Solano and Sonoma counties. Um, also, just quickly related to State Route 37, um, 
MTC and Caltrans developed a video tour of the State Route 37 corridor. So some of us were able to go on an actual tour last summer, and now there's a video to allow everyone to do their own short tour uh, from the comfort of wherever they want to view the video. Um, and it, it's a nice video introduction of the project and the project team. Um, and the link to that was provided in your packets. Next slide. Couple updates about the North-South Greenway, starting with phase two of the Northern segment, uh, which is the part that extends the path along the recently completed crossing over Cordomadera Creek, along Old Redwood Highway, uh, south to the pedestrian overcrossing. Um, so TAM had completed the environmental and design phases of that segment, and the city of Larkspur is advancing the project into the construction phase and they recently awarded the construction contract to Gelati Construction Company. So construction on that is scheduled to begin soon and the public will start to see activity in the area. And we also recently learned that the North-South Greenway Bridge over Corte Madera Creek uh, received another award. This one, the Engineering Excellence Honor Award from the American Council of Engineering Companies. And it's also in the running for the Golden State Award, uh, which would be for the top project in the state. So um, lots of pride and kudos about that piece of the project. Next slide. Um, changing gears a little bit, so to speak, I wanted to highlight that the Safe Routes to School program and TAM staff have been coordinating a um, little bit of a unique thing for us with Marin County Public Health and with public safety officials and school districts and um, some of the county staff to engage students and the public about e-bike safety. So um, this has been brought up in some of our previous meetings and uh, County Public Health has sort of taken notice of the data and the issues and um, is, uh, launched their own bicycle safety data dashboard that tracks 911 responses to bike accidents or incidents countywide. Um, and uh, County Public Health also issued a public health advisory on e-bike safety on November 14th. So that went to physicians throughout the county. Um, the data dashboard is being updated weekly and um, is using data that's collected by emergency responders when they respond to a 911 call involving a bike. So it also um, introduces some new data that wasn't previously available. Um, the Safe Routes program recently held a parent education forum in Novato about e-bikes, and they are integrating more e-bike safety messaging into their work. And uh, TAM staff is working with the county on developing some marketing or education materials that can be used in a variety of different places. Next slide. A uh, quick update about our alternative fuel program. On November 14th, TAM hosted a transportation electrification at schools webinar. And this provided uh, the opportunity for school staff to hear and ask questions with industry experts about EV charging projects. Um, we had TAM Union High and San Rafael City Schools, which have both implemented charging projects um, in attendance um, to talk about their experiences. And we also had opportunities to talk about school bus fleet conversion and the rebate programs that are available. And there's a event report and the webinar um, are available actually on our website. So folks can check it out there. 
Uh, we also recently received news that an abstract that staff submitted to the National Adaptation Forum uh, in partnership with our consultant team uh, for the sea level rise plan that we're conducting was accepted into um, a conference that takes place in Minnesota in May. And so our staff will serve on a panel talking about how collaboration is helping to advance this important planning work. In terms of transit, uh, there's always a lot going on. And uh, I wanted to note that recently, um, uh, some increased efforts with coordination are kicking off between transit operators and the county transportation agencies in Marin and Sonoma counties. Um, as Golden Gate Transit was recently going through their own strategic planning process, they convened TAM and Sonoma County Transportation Authority and MTC and uh, representatives from all of the Marin and Sonoma transit agencies to talk about that strategic planning initiative. And as part of that discussion, the agencies decided that a comprehensive transit service plan for the two counties should be undertaken uh, with the goal of optimizing the service and facilitating the best trip for transit riders. So really looking at where are the services, uh, where do they overlap, who can best provide the service for the trips that are uh, needed and are being taken um, we also talked about a number of other opportunities for coordination and staff is putting together a work plan for this. Um, the agencies will really kind of kick it into high gear in January and expect to complete in uh, a year or so. Uh, Commissioner Lucan um, probably would have mentioned this, but it seems like a long time ago now. So in early November, um, the city of Petaluma and SMART hosted a groundbreaking ceremony um, for their new Petaluma North station. And uh, there was quite a cast of transportation officials represented there to celebrate um, the start of this project. The new station will feature vehicle and bike parking, electric vehicle, charging stations, a three-mile segment of the SMART pathway, and uh, will also support 131 new affordable housing units adjacent to the station. Construction actually began last month and is expected to be complete in late 2024. A um, little bit of active transportation news. MTC is providing some technical assistance to jurisdictions that plan to apply for the state ATP cycle seven funding, which is coming up in 2024. Um, TAM provided uh, outreach and information to encourage local agencies to apply. Four agencies did apply for six projects and MTC selected one from Mill Valley, the Safe Routes to School Pedestrian Gap Closure Project to receive this technical assistance. So they'll help um, kind of get the project development going and uh, help put together the information that's needed for that state application, which is pretty extensive. So uh, definitely welcome to have some, some help from the region. Next slide, uh, Cal, little Caltrans news. So they are working on the State Route 131 Capital Preventive Maintenance Project, which uh, has a number of goals related to complete streets, ride quality, uh, restoring drainage systems. Um, so all kinds of features of that important roadway. Um, and the project extends from uh, the 101 interchange to the Tiburon Boulevard Main Street intersection. The final environmental document is scheduled to be released by the end of this month. And uh, then the project would go into design with construction set to start in 2026 and finish in 2027. 
it's a pretty sizable project, $23 million. And um, if anyone's interested in more details, the link to the draft environmental document is shown here. The Caltrans monthly update is attached in the uh, written executive director's report. And I will end with the uh, uh, monthly TAM in the community table. Uh, we've had a number of events in November and December. And uh, one thing that was not on the table, but Jennifer, if you go to the next slide, was our holiday event. And uh, we were very glad to welcome so many of you there and so many of our partners. I had uh, quite a few people come up to me and say that they really appreciated the opportunity because it's not just an office party. It really reaches out into uh, a lot of different agencies and partners. So uh, we're always glad to have it and we wish everyone a festive and safe holiday season. And that concludes my report. Thank you, Anne. Do any of my fellow commissioners have any questions for Anne? Could you just explain what the gap closure project is and those four schools in Mill Valley, what precisely that is? I'm not familiar with this. Uh, I would have to probably get some additional information for you, but it's basically where there are inadequate or no sidewalks near the schools. Uh, so trying to close those sidewalk gaps and make for a safer pedestrian environment near the schools. So is there a specific plan? Like, do we have ideas about precisely where those sidewalks are going to be put in and... Uh, I believe you do, but um, <laughs> I would have to double check with the public works staff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Commissioner Farr? Yeah. For uh, Novato, you said there was a parent education seminar for the e-bikes. Um, did TAM lead that or who was the uh, initiator? Of that? that was our uh, Safe Routes to School team. So uh, Gwen Fro, if you've met her, conducted that. Fantastic. Thank you for doing that. Mm -hmm. Commissioner Carl? Just to um, supplement on the uh, e-bike accident stuff, I happened to attend the um, Ross Valley Paramedic Authority meeting last week, and this was one of the items, and it's now the paramedics have to fill out a form for any response they make, and this is now a, a checkbox uh, for any incident of whether a bicycle is involved and whether it's a regular bike or an e-bike. So that's a very reliable source of information that will be going into that data board. I don't know about the other paramedics. I didn't ask that question, but I assume it'll be countywide. Um, public uh, comment in the room? Good evening. My name is Patrick Seidler from WTB TAM, and I wanted to thank, thank you for the report. That was excellent. I just want to add some information on that State Route 131 project that's going in Tiburon in 2026. It's a really exciting project. It's a Caltrans Division 4 has a class four pathways that go from the interchange all the way down to Blackie's Pasture on each side of the road. And in addition, from East Strawberry Drive down to Green Cove Drive, there's going to be a, a class one bike path. And we're working with Caltrans now to make a two-way path, a two-way class four from um, uh, Green Cove Drive down to Blackie's Pasture. So the exciting news is after 50 years, 
Mill Valley and Tiburon will be finally almost connected. And they've had it since the 1973, 1974 bike plan to be able to walk and bike between the cities. And so it's a really exciting moment. And Tiburon is going to be moving about freely in 2027. So it's a really exciting time. Thank you very much. And we all look forward to that freedom of movement from Tiburon. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jennifer, do we have any public comment online? Chair, I don't see any hands raised at this time. Excellent. So now we'll move uh, forward to item number four. And this is uh, open time for public comment, not on tonight's agenda. Mr. Seidler. Good evening. My name is Patrick Sider from WTB TAM. I'm going to make a prequel to some comments that I made on October 26th at the countywide transportation plan. A little bit of a historical background. The gold was discovered in California in 1848. In 1849, San Francisco became the fastest growing city in the United States, which lasted for decades, being one of the fastest growing cities in America. The Transcontinental Railroad was completed in 1869. All the goods that were built in San Francisco, most of the goods and products that built San Francisco produce came from Marin and Sonoma counties out of Tamales Bay, 60 miles by ocean to San Francisco. The Marin County's transportation network, which is shown in the historical network of Marin County, had two primary railroads that were completed in 1884, one from T Petaluma down to Tiburon and one from Casadero down to Sausalito. The Golden Gate Bridge and, and, those, and those railroads go to all the townships and were put in before any of the cities were formed except for, except for San Rafael. They're the most direct connections between and among the cities in Marin County. The Golden Gate Bridge was completed in 1937, and the railroads now present the greatest opportunity for multimodal transportation. Please flip the page to the second one that says historical rail, that says the Green uh, North-South Greenway and Crossman Trail. Um, it is rare among those who shape our community, our future, who have the opportunity to make a difference on the magnitude that you have to complete Marin's multimodal transportation system. And it's all about political will. My question is, who among you will meet the moment? Who among you will build the healthiest transportation system in Marin, the most energy efficient transportation system, the lowest greenhouse gas transportation system, the system that increases mobility the most, and the system that has the highest rate of return on investment for transportation expenditures? I hope all of you will strive to meet the moment. Thank you. Thank you. And Jennifer, I'm not seeing any additional public comment in the room. Any online? Yes. Matthew Hartzell, please unmute. Uh, good. Thank you. Good evening. Um, and I'm Matt from WTB TAM. And with that, uh, my with my colleagues' words, I'll segue into what that fascinating railroad history um, can mean in our present-day transportation network. As you heard, the two historical rail lines in Marin County are today the routes of the North-South Greenway and the Cross Marin Bikeway. So we hereby recommend for 
the countywide transportation plan and the countywide active transportation plan as primary action goals to be highlighted in these plans and headlined in these plans is um, for the North-South Greenway and the Cross Marin Bikeway in Marin County proper, which is all the main towns and cities, um, to bring all of the remaining gaps to shovel-ready status as a near-term goal. And that means 30% engineering, environmental permits, and environmental clearances and to build them and finish them, complete them, complete the network as the medium to medium term goal. Um, and just as an example, one of these segments, you know, there are many of these gaps are viable contenders for funding that's coming very soon. For example, in the city of Sausalito, where the MTC designated the entire route of the city from um, the south, the southern city limit to the northern city limit as a gap in the Bay Trail because it doesn't currently meet bridgeway. Bike lanes don't meet Bay Trail's modern day standards. So that gap is named the number three priority by MTC in all of Marin County. So it's highly viable contender for this Bay Trail grant that's coming out in March 2024, $150 million dollars. So just an example, many of these um, outstanding gaps are actually viable contenders for funding, state, regional, federal, but there's one that's coming right around the corner. So good luck, and we look forward to being there as the plans develop. Thank you, Jennifer. Jennifer, any additional public, uh, public comment? I don't see any additional hands raised at this time, Chair. Thank you so much. We'll move on to item number five, the consent calendar. Do any of my colleagues have any changes they'd like to make on consent? Uh, any public comment here in the room? Jennifer, any online? I don't see any hands raised at this time. Seeing none, can I get a motion? I'll make that motion. I'll second. Oh, go ahead. First by Carmel, second by Commissioner Farrick. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? No. Excellent. Passes. Um, we will now move on to item number six. This is an update of the recommended crossing guard locations. And before we uh, jump into the presentation from staff, I'd just like to offer a few opening remarks. Um, crossing guards is an important program because they're such an important part of our communities. Um, I spend a lot of time thinking about this program, and I'm sure we all do. We are extremely lucky in Marin County to have a robust Safe Routes to Schools program. And a unique part of Safe Routes to Schools are our locally funded crossing guards. TAM has continued to expand the program when possible through measure A, measure B, and measure uh, AA. Um, funding crossing guards was initiated with measure A in 2004. Then we added funding for measure B in 2010. And with the passage of Measure AA in 2018, we expanded the funding share from the half-cent sales tax from 4.2 to 7%. Tonight, we are considering the list based primarily on the board's discussion last April. In many ways, tonight's decision is simple, to keep an expanded list and not remove guards in the middle of the school year. I think a more complex and difficult decision will happen in a few months. When we look at the overall program funding, and the long-term sustainability of the program. As with most things, and even with all the support for the program, this does not mean there is an unlimited funding and we will need to consider the near-term as well as the long-term program outlook. So thank you for listening to me share some of my initial thoughts. I now look forward to a thoughtful discussion. We'll now turn it over to staff to provide more detail about the item. 
Okay, Chair. Thank you very much, and also the entire board. Uh, we have a very short presentation to make this evening, and let's dive right into it. If we have the next slide, please. Um, just a very quick background. I know you, all of you heard this back in April, but the Crossing Guard program has been around since the inception of TAM. It's been paid previously by Measure A and then Measure B, and we expanded the program with Measure AA. And that uh, increased the uh, number of guards we could field by by uh, over over twenty five. Um, we do have a change condition policy um, that uh, does allow for guards to be added or, or or removed between recertification cycles. That was added at the request of the board in twenty eleven. So that some sites would not have to wait if if a need uh, arose between those those long time periods be, between the cycles. Um, over time, we've noticed you know this came into play in 2011 that on average we add about two guards every year. So if we have the next slide, please. As I mentioned, the lists um, the lists are every. Uh, many years. We had one in 2006, one in 2010, 2014, 2018. Should have been 2022, but because of the pan pandemic, we decided to wait a year and we have the 2023 list now. Um, those lists are based on criteria, and I'm not going to get into all that because we went into that extensively back in April, but the by the uh, Marin Public Works Association, uh, that was which was approved by the board, and then they take our data and and recommend the list, and the list was approved here back in April. As a separate process to that um, approval of the list, there's also an action to decide how far down the list we're gonna come. Uh, at that time, Tam's uh, recommendation was to go to rank 97. The uh, board did decide at that time to fund down to rank 103 unt until December of 2023. And that is why we're back here this evening to, to, to basically decide the next steps. So um, if we have the next slide, please. Um, Right now in the field, we have 108 crossing guards. We have the 103 that the TAM board approved back in April, plus five of our school, well, five additional guards are added by our school districts. One school district does two. Um, so there's a total right now in the field of 108 guards. Go to the next slide, please. Um, so, you know, I mentioned before that what the what the staff's recommendation was. And um, in the meantime, we were asked as part of your your action to work with public works officials and determine if any of those ones between rank 97 and rank 103 uh, should be reevaluated based on a change condition in accordance with the new and change condition location policy. 
three of those were reevaluated. And in addition, because the new new part of the new and change location policy, we did get a, a um, request to evaluate two new additional sites. So, and then there was one site that we took it upon ourselves to evaluate because of a change, change condition. So if we'd have the next slide, please. So those four sites that were reevaluated that were already on the list, you can see here, Sir Francis Drake, Coral Grove, Montecillo, Novi Albion, Sir Francis Drake, Saunders, Eth Blystill, and Buena Vista. All of those had an increased score, all, all four. Um, three of those had an increased score that put it above the level of where rank 97 would have been on our original recommendation score of 51. We would have a slide in a minute that makes that a little more clear. And then of the two new sites that San Rafael asked us to evaluate, they also scored above that same line as well. So if we'd have the next slide, and this may make that a little more clear, or maybe not. Um, the um, right above the blue line where it says Stinner Road and Diablo Avenue, that now is at a rank 102. That is where the old rank 97 used to be before we put these five new sites in that scored a 51 or higher that pushed the 97 down to 102. The ones that were from the change condition aspect of sites that were already on the list are in light green. And the two that were new locations that we've always added in between recertification cycles are in dark green. One each of those is is above the the excerpt we have of the list or if you want to see the full list it's in your packet as attachment b the the other three that are shown in blue are ones that we did not reevaluate uh the public works directors did not feel that anything warranted a change condition at those sites so those are now below where the old recommended funding cutoff was um, at rank 97. So if we could have the next slide, please. Um, and basically this slide is just kind of saying in words what I tried to show you on, on that chart, but we added the two new, two new sites and three of the reevaluated sites did end up above the cutoff. So now there's 105 TAM paid for guards. If you remember, I said there were 108 guards in the field. There are five guards that are paid for by others that are not really part of this conversation. So um, if we'd have the next slide, please. This is kind of on the side, but, um, you know, um, we try to maintain the long-term viability of the program by writing out the cycles of revenues and expenses. And 
just so it's it's kind of out there the the cost implications of carrying those extra six guards for this year is you know we're we're going to make a staff recommendation here in a minute to fund those other ones that were in blue for the rest of the year but the um six guards for this entire year 20,000 a location that's $120,000 the three that we reevaluated that have now moved up into the list we're going to carry on for the for the, you know the next uh, until at least the next list or unless we make some change in where that cutoff line is going to be that's 138,000 and then there's a cost associated with scoring those three chain sites so just to put this in perspective of this is coming right out of the carryover that's available to maintain the stability of the program um so let's have the next slide please so what the executive committee uh recommended was in attachment B, this is the revised crossing guard list to approve that list and to fund all of the sites down to 105 until the end. Uh, uh, well, actually, they said to fund them all down to 105 until we come back in the spring with additional information. But we, uh, staff supports that in that in the lifetime of the program, we have never pulled guards like in the middle of the winter when it's darker, more hours and in, in inclement weather and such forth. So, and then the, the executive committee wanted us to come back sometime in the spring with additional information to uh, discuss the long-term viability of the program. And if we could have the final slide, please, Jennifer. Um, so some of the stuff we're going to be coming back with is, as you know, uh, a new law has been passed. It's taking effect this year, starting April 1st, that fast food workers will be paid a higher minimum wage. Um, and that some of our guards do come out of that same labor pool. So we did have in our contract, the ability for the for it to be renegotiated should that happen and where those negotiations are underway. But by that time, we should know what those are. Um, there's been some talk about the change conditions policy. This does have an impact to how many guards we can carry because we have to keep room for those ones we add. Um, and it does cost an awful lot to do the recertification list. Uh, the last one cost $300,000 with all the data we have to collect and sort and and look at. So there are some sites that have always scored extremely well and some sites that have always scored extremely poorly. Maybe we do some changes in, in how that's done. And we're going to come back with, with a bunch of options. Um, and then savings about how long those recertification cycles might be a part and various ideas about how we use the existing reserve or carryover that we have now to, you know, what is our time horizon? Right now, our time horizons go to all the way to the end of the program. Maybe we want to shorten that up a little bit. 
So that's pretty much the end. If we have the next slide, I think it just says questions. Um, that's pretty much all I have to say, but the, the actions we're requesting tonight is one, to approve the revised list in attachment B, and three, to continue to fund down to rank 105. So thank you very much. I'll be happy to answer any questions. Thank you for that uh, report, Dan. Commissioner Collin. Thank you. Sorry, we're sharing microphones here. Um, thank you for that report. And actually, this is to the executive director. Your opening remarks talked about the award of over half a million dollars for the school access safety action plan. How might that intersect with our crossing guard program? Is that at all funding source or is that something completely separate? Yeah, that, that funding is a little bit separate. It's okay. more related to the safe routes program as opposed to actually paying for crossing guards themselves. So it might in the long run be related in that if we determine that there are other safety improvements that can be done around schools that would affect whether a guard is needed at that location. Um, but that is like, you know, that will take some time to, to play out. And, and then my second question is, and I know the um, criteria is in the packet, is that if an area is part of a safe routes designated uh, walk, walk or path, is that part of the score is that included in the score that's rolled up or not uh that is not one of the evaluation yeah. matrix it's about the particular crosswalk when it's a very fine-tuned scoring yeah and i know we're talking only about these um the the new intersections and, and potential guard locations this evening but when we come back and look at the program that might be a criteria piece. Again, trying to look at it holistically if Safe Routes of School have identified walking paths and directions. So those intersections would score higher than one that's maybe not has been identified. I don't know, something to consider. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chair. Um, thank you very much for the, the presentation. So just so I like just to reiterate, I guess it's a question, but just trying to clarify for myself. Um, how we got to where we're at. So initial recommendation was 97 back in April. There were some folks that were concerned about some other sites that were lower ranked. Those sites were added uh, and reviewed. They scored better. They end up higher on the list, pushing down the rest of the sites. Um, so then we're getting down to, you know, it's 103. And then with the additional that are pushed down, it gets down to this 105 that we're at. And then we have this policy that we don't pull people mid-year. And so that's how we're at the 105. And that's to your point, Mr. Chair, earlier that will in the new year, we'll have hard decisions to make because the costs we're incurring are associated with the re-ranking and these things getting pushed down and this policy about not pulling any of the sites mid-year. But right now is, is do i have that right all of those little bits and pieces yes for the most part even though the not pulling mid year has just been practice not actual policy sure okay thank you that's the only question i had just wanted to clarify thank you commissioner carroll what's the um i have a couple of questions but first is what is the current reserve carryover uh, I Roughly. believe right now it's around 1.6 million. Okay. And then briefly, um, how is the funding allocated for the program? In other words, if we decided to increase the funding, 
it's a ro robbing Peter to pay Paul situation. Um, is it done formulaically of what we received overall? If you could elaborate a little on that. Sure. So the, the funding for the program, I'll, I'll jump in and Dan, you can correct me with any numbers. Um, the funding for the, the program primarily comes from the Measure AA sales tax and then a little bit from the Measure B vehicle registration fee. So the expenditure plan for the sales tax um, has, you know, many different categories and essentially uh, it's a cap. Each category is capped at a certain percent. So um, the crossing guard program gets 7% of the revenues uh, from measure AA. So that's what's available from that. And, you know, the revenue in uh, the sales tax measure is tied um, to the economy generally. So it goes up and down as the economy fluctuates. So we, you know, collect the revenue, 7% goes to this program. Um, and uh, so, and uh, the carryover is used if needed. Uh, there's also a small amount from Measure B. I think it's about $175,000 every year. And it's one of the eligible uses of Element 3 in Measure B. Um, and again, it's really, we, we're really not able to move money between categories in the sales tax or between elements in Measure B. So if there's a shortfall in one area, we just have to manage it with the funding that we have. And that's why the carryover or program reserve funds are so important for this program uh, because we don't want to be um, sort of, uh, we, we want to have access to those funds over yeah. time to help mitigate any effects of fluctuations in the revenue. Which is very prudent and I have no problem with that at all. The reason why I bring it up though is the measure AA funds are something we do control the allocation of. Well, we it's control not, the, I mean, we allocate the funds to the program, but the amount is set in the voter approved expenditure plan. And we can't actually just change that on an annual basis. It's it's set in the plan. There is a process that the board um, can use to review that every six years, but it's a pretty extensive process. Any changes have to get approved by all the jurisdictions in the county. So um, it's not something that can just kind of be done to manage the year-to-year -year cash flows. Okay, but my understanding is now we're using some of the AA funds to subsidize the Muirwood shuttle program. And so if we were to cut back funding for that, which does not primarily serve local needs and switch it to um, this program, is that possible? It's actually not possible at this point because they're in different categories of the expenditure plan. So the transit funds have to stay in the transit category and the crossing guard funds stay in the crossing guard category. And what would it take to change that formula? That's the process that I just described about the review every six years. And when is it due for another review? Uh, well, this is a new provision in the 2018 expenditure plan, so it hasn't happened before, and um, it would be expected to start around 2025. Okay, thank you. Commissioner Carmel? Yeah, so just teeing off some of those questions. So my understanding is that, um, so we'll be, we're using the reserves now to fund this additional amount above 97 to 103 or 105. And we don't, this is a three-year cycle program, and we'll use up those reserves that we have within the next two years, maybe, is that correct or not? We, we can't fund this thing through the end of that cycle, right? Because we don't have enough money in reserves. Is that true or not? 
I don't believe that's true. I think we can go we with the current program reserves we have, we could extend past twenty twenty six. It's just it's dwindling down all the every year when we're when we're churning them up. And then we can't meet right now when we put in the expenditure plan the level of ninety six that is in the expenditure plan. We went to ninety seven this time simply because of a tie. Normally we would have come back with a recommendation ninety six. That 96 was based on the up and downs of estimated revenues, which are put many decades into the future, and estimated expenses many decades into the future. So there's a lot of questionability about how accurate all that is. But we have to start somewhere. And we we went through with the 7% we were estimating for cash flows when the expenditure plan was being derived that we could fund 96 and when we reported back in april we said based on everything right now and all the estimates we have we still feel we can fund 96 and unfortunately by going to 103 would probably make the next time we came back saying can we fund 96 that would probably that number would probably have to go down how much i don't know without going through the cash flows but remaining now at 105 is either even more eroding those reserves so that when eventually we have to reset the program, that number is going to be less. But your question is exactly when will the reserves expire if we stay at 105? I'd be guessing. I think it's somewhere. Yeah, I'd be a guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, uh, if I could jump in for a second, I mean, these are great questions and this is, you know, what um, the executive committee was grappling with as well. And that's why they asked staff to come back in the spring with a more full financial picture. And, um, you know, there's some things about this program that are really uh, outside of our control, like the minimum wage, for example, which has a huge impact. I mean, most of the expenses of this program are labor costs. Um, so, you know, there are some things like that where we're making assumptions about what will happen in the future. Um, there are some things within the agency's control, like the number of locations that are guarded. So uh, we do plan to come back in the spring with more information about kind of the overall financial projections. I do want to assure the board that we we do have money in the budget this year to to pay for the 105. So um, we uh, are certainly able to do that if that's the direction that the board wants to go. And that's what we're recommending today. I guess my question was, um, you can't stay at 105 throughout the entire three-year period because, again, the budget basically allocates for 96. We've already pushed it to 97. There's no room to keep it at 90, 105. And then prior practice has been to add two sites per year. So um, and we're just at the beginning of the cycle, so we're not going to be able to add those sites either. So we're basically, we're over the limit already, and we're right at the beginning of the cycle. Is that true or not? I don't know that we've done the calculations to say whether at the end, what what happens at the end of three years. I mean, we know that we can do 105 this year, and the board asked us to come back in the spring to have a discussion about what the number should be for next school year. So I, I really don't want to, you know, speculate on those numbers and exactly when we would kind of hit the end of the reserve. So uh, we will definitely come back with more of that information. Okay. And then my second question is just on, and Dan, you and I talked about this before, but just to reiterate for the big group, um, the statistical difference between a 50 or a 51 or a 49 is negligible, correct? 
well, we we do have a scoring metric, and but you, you know, and and to to take scoring and put it in associated with safety, uh, it's really hard to answer a question like that. It's just that it, it doesn't take much of a change in some of the units that go into the scoring metrics to make a, a scoring difference. So like one child more crossing the crosswalk may move it into the next bucket and that'll increase the score by five points. So even though it's just one child, so, it, you know, it's, that, that, that's kind of where I was going is that it's, it's it, when you're down in those kind of scores, it doesn't take much of a change in vehicle volume or pedestrian volume or things like that to really kind of move the score a little bit back and forth. Okay, great. Thanks. Commissioner Park. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, so this 20,000 per year, and we're only doing the six schools, would that be 10,000 then for the rest of the additional school year for those six sites? I'm sorry. So on the slide, it said six guards at 20,000 per year for 23-24. So if we extended that, what would the Cost. That is the annual cost. Okay. That's the that's all six of the extended guards for the year. But we've already paid half of it because we're in the middle yes. of the year, right? Yes. So then that would only be sixty thousand. Sixty thousand more over what we've already paid. Yes. Okay, so it'd be additional sixty. Yes. Okay. okay. Well, additional three of those have scored high enough that they're up above the cutoff, the old cutoff score. Right. So it's the other three. So it's even half of that. Okay. 30,000. Okay. And then um, based on your recommendation, just to continue the additional six sites, um, is that primarily because it's dark out, safety concerns, and just kind of um, the students are used to having the crossing guards there? Correct. And there's, of those six, there's three that have moved up high enough on the scoring that they're going to, that's, it's just those three that were in blue. Right. And the three that were in blue, we are recommending that we continue to guard those and not and not immediately remove those 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 three guards at this time. Okay, so essentially, it's like an extra fifteen thousand dollars. Is that thirty thousand? If we went to the rest of the year. Okay, thank you, uh, Vice Chair Lucan. Uh, thank you. Yeah, actually, just one question about uh, physical improvements around crosswalks, because I know there was a new state law that I think went into effect around daylighting around crosswalks, you know, not, not parking within 20 feet of them. Uh, is that something that's come up in any of our discussions with regards to making some of these crosswalks safer and any technical assistance we can provide to jurisdictions, given that we probably have photos or video of most of these these crosswalks? Is there Has that come up at all? Well, um we do have all the video, but if you're asking, do we take that video and go make safety recommendations based on what we see out of that video, that's beyond the scope of what we're trying okay. to. I mean, we're looking at 160 sites from multiple angles, and it's there's quite a bit of data, and we're trying to churn that out in a hurry to, to yeah, I just don't know what local jurisdictions are doing with this new state law yeah. to, to get ready for it or prepared, but if, right. if we knew... If we knew certain crosswalks had, you know, parking adjacent to them and we could yeah. share that information is just just a random thought as we were talking about this. 
just as an aside, though, one of the scoring criteria is is cars parked right next to the crosswalk. So if that pulls back a little bit, the 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 next time we go to evaluate them, their score may go down just a little bit because they might lose a point or two for not having cars parked right at the crosswalk. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that will come in play in the next scoring once all the local jurisdictions get caught up and put in the no parking restrictions next to the crosswalks because of the state law. Yes. Um, and then lastly, it's probably more of a comment, but I just, I really appreciate uh, uh, Commissioner Catrano's summary of this, which I think is key. You know, the, the, we drew the line at 96 then we got to 97 because of a tie. Then we went up to 103 because we had some requests and then we went up to 105. Uh, and, and this does tend to happen every time we do this. And it's something we should be aware of this just gradual creep that takes place. And it is hard to say, say no. Um, but that is why we set set policies and we have a scoring metrics and we even have a process for change of conditions. Um, so maybe just speaking out loud here for, for us to be mindful of when we go through this again, it's always hard when it's your crosswalk in your jurisdiction. Um, but from 96 to 105, it shows how, how this can happen. And speaking of robbing Peter, you know, pay Paul, we're actually robbing the future uh, guarding of these crosswalks to, you know, move it up, um, which is probably not really fair to the, program as a whole. So just a comment. Thanks, Eric. You, you can lead off the crossing guard discussion in April. Um, <laughs> now, those that, that, that was an excellent summary. Let's move on to public comment. Any here in the chamber? None. Jennifer, any online? I don't see any hands raised at this time, Chair. Okay, so um, we had a, a lot of interesting uh, questions let's bring it back here for comments and then disposition um commissioner Collin, we'll work our way down thank you chair so a uh, good discussion and, and commissioner lucan made excellent points because with the creep always having two years or soon two more guards every single year it's just going to become unsustainable at some point so i look forward to that future program discussion in april um and i did just want to comment on the two additional intersections for san rafael and appreciate the board for considering those uh, because we did open up the scoring process. Um, they qualified and actually uh, their numbers ranked higher or better than some of the, uh, the initial um, intersections. So indicating that they should be on the list. So hope that taken in consideration by my fellow commissioners. Commissioner Carmel. Yeah, hi. So thanks very much staff for all of your hard work on this thing. So I'm a part of the committee that looked at this thing a couple of weeks ago that um, kind of is forwarding this uh, recommendation. So just to kind of give everybody a flavor of the discussion. So we talked a lot about this 96 versus the 105. We talked a lot about the budget and the fact that the budget can't support this thing throughout this entire period of time. We also talked about the fact that there's no statistical difference between a 50 and a 49 or a 51, right? So it's not as though um, the projects that we're including right at the edge are significantly different than the ones that are right below the edge, right? So we shouldn't be getting too hung up on this 105 or 103 or 96 for that matter. There's just not a big difference between these things. So all of which is to say, I very much appreciate staff recommending that we look at this thing in the spring. And I just think, you know, teeing off of what Kate said, it's like really important that we take a hard look at this thing when it comes back, because we cannot afford to keep um, having this thing run above the budget. We have a budget and the budget allows for 96. It doesn't allow for 105. The thing is, is not designed to do that. So it's really important that we take a hard look at this thing and actually make the hard decisions so that we don't rob this thing for the future. 
And I appreciate, again, staff putting that into the recommendation that wasn't part of our discussion when we had this a couple of weeks ago. So I'm fully in favor of what staff has recommended here. I think it's a really good um, starting point for this thing, but we're going to have to have a hard discussion when we bring this back in March. Thanks. Commissioner Catrano. Yeah, um, I just want to agree with uh, the sentiments of my colleagues, and I don't know, uh, I don't want to belabor it, and I'm at, at the appropriate time, Mr. Chair, I'm happy to make a, a motion to accept the recommendations of the Funding Programs and Legislation Committee. I just want to put that out there. Uh, Commissioner Carroll? I'll second it. All right. Well, it looks like we have a first, and I'll just thank uh, this. This is the most difficult topic we seem to wrestle with here, um, and Tam, so um, get a good night's sleep before either March or April. Uh, in any event, we have a first from Commissioner Catrano, a second from Commissioner Carroll. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? None. Passes. And Dan, thanks so much for uh, the report. Really appreciate it. Thank you. We'll now move on to item number seven, the Marin-Sonoma Bike Share Pilot Program Update. Scott, is this you? Great. Good evening, Chair, Commissioners. Thanks so much. We're very excited to present this update tonight on our bike share program. I'm joined tonight uh, online through Zoom by um, Amber Wasson and uh, Isabel Mizoso from Drop Mobility. Um, and behind me, we have a drop mobility bike share bicycle, which you can check out and uh, we'll talk more about in the presentation. Next slide, please. Just quick background. Um, Tam and the Sonoma County Transportation Authority received a grant in 2018 from MTC to launch a bike share program to connect with Smart and Marin and Sonoma counties. Um, we're jointly overseeing the program with Sonoma County Transportation Authority, uh, while SCTA is the funding and contract administrator for the grant. Uh, you'll recall we previously had a contract set up with Bolt Mobility, uh, another bike share operator for a system we had planned for 300 electric bikes uh, in seven cities or along the Smart Corridor. Uh, we worked uh, for quite some time with several um, local jurisdictions and transit agencies. Um, and uh, during the pandemic, um, Bolt Mobility shut down its operations, uh, and we were forced to go out and release another RFP to secure a new program operator. Next slide, please. So we put an RFP, and that RFP process uh, took place between June and November 2023, uh, and our RFP panel unanimously selected Drop Mobility uh, to be the operator of our program. And SCTA brought an item earlier this week, and the SCTA board as a contract administrator uh, approved a contract with Drop Mobility uh, Monday. Next slide, please. So the scope of the program will include operating the bike share system, uh, maintaining the system with the warehouse and call center, um, planning and developing the program with our partner agencies um, based on their um, locations of need, uh, doing outreach and marketing, um, with a variety of pricing options for users, um, with regular users um, being um, able to sign up for uh, annual memberships. And they're going to uh, drop mobility. will provide all the hardware, equipment, software, app, website, and data reporting, uh, rebalance the bikes, uh, moving the bikes around um, throughout the system where they're needed. Uh, and the program is set up to operate for a two-year pilot period under the agreement. Next slide. 
Um, although there will be an opportunity to extend and we began some discussions, although we'll have to revisit this um, concept down the road, but um, Drop Mobility does offer an option to actually own the assets after a three-year period should we uh, decide that we want to extend uh, for three years or beyond. Uh, obviously, there's more to discuss down the road. Um, and the bikes are GPS equipped, uh, will be available in disadvantaged communities uh, with data they'll be sharing with us. And we'll be working closely with our uh, working group uh, continue to uh, coordinate throughout the process. Next slide. So now I'm going to turn it over to Amber, um, and uh, she can tell you more about their program. Thank you, Scott. Hi, everyone. It's great to meet you, and we're really excited to be working um, with Tam and your communities in order to launch a bike share. Uh, my name is Amber Wasson. As Scott mentioned, I am the VP of Business Development for Drop Mobility. I have the really awesome job of getting to launch bike share uh, in different communities all over North America, um, which is really fun. So we're excited to work with you guys. Um, next slide, please. Just a bit about Drop Mobility. Um, we are a really diverse and fun group of uh, professionals from all different backgrounds, hardware, software, uh, bike share operations. Uh, most of us have been doing this our entire careers. Um, and we have combined decades of experience uh, launching these programs um, all over the world. So we're, we're really excited to talk more about what this will look like. Next slide. Um, the first thing I want to tell you about DROP is that we work always in a partnership approach. So, um, you know, you may be familiar with uh, other micromobility companies that maybe are one syllable and um, drop their, you know, their branded assets in different communities. Um, we will only go where we're invited and where we have a partnership approach. Uh, we love working alongside transit um, and we love tying different communities together for a regional uh, system. Next slide, please. Here's just some pictures from other markets around the country. And if you go to the next slide, I'll show you uh, some of the markets we're in. Um, and so you'll see we're from the East Coast to West Coast and everywhere in between. Next slide. So just to comment briefly on how we work. So um, Drop employs a hub-based operating model. And what that means is we can uh, delineate an overall system shape, which can be um, all along you know, the smart transit line, and then have individual hubs at, uh, say, each community, partner community um, along the transit line. So uh, these hubs can um, be just regular bike racks or they can be existing infrastructure um, and they are demarcated with signage uh, and wayfinder signing. Next slide, please. Uh, this is our e-bike and as Scott mentioned, there is one uh, there in person today. So I really hope you'll all check it out. Um, just a few things to point out. Um, so we white label all of our hardware and software. So we will be working together with partner communities to brand this bike. Um, additionally, there are basket panels on the front that can be used for sponsorship or additional education. Um, I heard in the beginning of the meeting some talk about safety materials that are being developed. Um, there are some opportunities in the app as well as on the bike to display um, those images and messaging. Next slide. Uh, the software additionally is white labeled. And so you'll have uh, your own user facing app 
that is uh, custom branded to the brand that we uh, decide. And the user app allows um, users to locate bikes and hubs, to rent them and pay through the app, uh, and then to check status on their ride and on their account after. Uh, additionally, the app has a um, administrative backend, uh, which our staff will use in the field, um, but Drop will oversee all of that. Next slide, please. Uh, so just to summarize, and Scott did a great job of this, but we're planning to launch initially with 300 bikes and 75 hubs uh, along the smart train line. We'll be working in a collaborative manner with partner communities to identify where those locations are. Um, we'll then work in a phased approach uh, to deploy those bikes. We don't necessarily need to drop them all on day one. Uh, and then if the program is to be extended beyond those two years, we can also scale that up. Um, with more bikes and hubs. Um, they'll be the, the brand that we come up with together, uh, whatever that brand ends up being. Um, we will uh, have turnkey operations that are managed by Drop and we'll hire a local staff in order to uh, get this program off the ground and oversee uh, on the ground operations. Um, and we'll do all of this in a collaborative approach with the stakeholders and community, with lots of marketing and outreach. My colleague Isabel uh, is fluent in English and Spanish and we do all of our uh, marketing and customer service in English and Spanish. And the app is uh, able to be translated in other languages as well. Um, we have our own in-house customer service team that will handle um, all, all of the issues that come in. Um, I think we talked briefly about the equity program, but really excited to talk more with your communities about what that looks like and how we can reach uh, all members of the community. Um, and then finally, we really just want to underscore our approach to doing this in a collaborative manner, working alongside transit and working with all of the partner communities uh, to make this a huge success. So finally, last slide is just a summary of our timeline, um, looking to get a contract signed, uh, I think, imminently, and then um, looking to convene a stakeholder meetings in January. Um, we'll start procuring and branding the assets. Um, we'll then start hiring, um, find a workshop space, and finally deploy uh, targeting June and July. So that's the plan and really looking, uh, looking forward to hearing your questions and, and collaborating with you all. Thank you. Back to you, Scott. Great. Well, thanks so much. Um, just to one uh, iterate, uh, reiterate was something I, I alluded to earlier, but um, the TAM board took action previously uh, to set up a cooperative agreement so that SCTA will um, manage the contracts on behalf of the two um, agencies. So um, this does not require an action, but we are seeking any kind of feedback or questions you may have. So I'll open it up and thanks so much for your time. Commissioner Fark. Yeah, thank you so much. This is really exciting. Um, how or what are we going to do as far as like the measurement of success for this program? What are we looking at? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, well, this is really a pilot program to test um, and demonstrate the effectiveness of bike share in a kind of a suburban context. Um, so we've been talking to MTC a little bit about that. Um but, you know, at the time when they funded the program, they discussed certain metrics like half of a uh, trip per bike per day was one of the thresholds that they thought might indicate success. Um, but I think we can determine amongst ourselves, really, and different part partners that we're working with, um, if goals are being met, such as connecting to transit, are we increasing the visibility of biking as a mode of transportation? Um, do we need more time to reach those types of objective measures that I that I uh, referenced um, in terms of trips per bike? Um, and um, so I think there's some conversations we still need to have 
um, with our partner agencies um, to figure out kind of what they'd be seeking in terms of success measures. But I don't think we are tied to um, really a lot of external metrics. We just need to figure out, you know, if we're seeing use, if we're seeing progress and whether I think within the first year, year and a half, we're going to have to decide, frankly, if we want to extend it. This is entirely kind of an MTC grant funded program at this point. So, um, you know, but if we wanted to extend it beyond that grant funded period, um, we might have to come up with our own goals and figure out what what um, warranted continuing it. Okay. And then the back end, how, what does that show and kind of like the visibility and how can we like, is, does it allow like dialing down to those specifics of those like measurement criteria that you just mentioned? I think I'm going to refer to um, to Amber. I don't know if you um, can discuss kind of the metrics that you look at um, through the app or on your in the back end that that we might want to consider. Yeah, for sure. We usually kick off projects with a, a, a collaborative discussion with communities around what KPIs are. You know, every community is different. Some have more environmental goals, whereas others it's more about transit and ridership. Um, there's no kind of one size fits all success metric. Um, but some things we look at is, you know, um, average number of rides, uh, trips per day per vehicle. Um, we can look at uh, the health um, of equity programs and, you know, sales of certain memberships. So we can really tie it to whatever your goals are. We can look at overall um, CO2 reduction by miles driven. Um, and so really, we can take the data that you know, you want to track and tie it back to what the community's goals are. Thank you. I'm looking forward to taking a ride. Awesome. Commissioner Catrano. Yes, Scott. Thank you, Amber. Nice to meet you. Uh, two quick questions. Um, one, uh, 75 parking hubs. Is that the right, that was the right number, 75 hubs? Uh, and are those already delineated or is that just like the high level metric? And then at some point in the year ahead or next between now and July, y'all are going to figure out where those 75 hubs land along the smart route. Yeah. I mean, that's a rough estimate based on the proposal we received from drop mobility um, for the 300 bikes, but you know, there might be some cases where we would have more concentrated hubs than others. That's more of an average. Um, if you want to add to that, Amber. Yeah, exactly. And and when we kick off these stakeholder meetings, we can work together on seeing where those hub locations are. Um, as I mentioned, not every hub has to be like, you know, a full fledged, you know, branded bike rack with signage. Some hubs can be just, hey, there's, you know, a public bike right rack outside this transit station. Um, and we think, you know, bikes should be able to be parked here or be picked up here. So there's really a lot of flexibility and where there isn't signage or branding and physical assets. Uh, we can show that in the app. So someone, you know, will will log on and see where those hubs are. Got it. That That's super helpful. Um, just in terms of like physical infrastructure that's built along the, this, this route. Uh, the other question, which is sort of a, a tag along to the, the last one is, um, you know, and depending on communities that deploy e-scooters or e-bikes across the country and across the world, there are different approaches to geofencing, uh, these assets. And I was curious if, if you all are doing that, like along this route or, um, yeah, what, what does that look like? Or if you, have you worked on that at all to date thinking about that? Well, to answer your question, there will be geofencing of hubs as far as the broader service area and the geofencing of that. I think there's more dis 
kind of review that might be needed um, on drop mobility's end, but um, I'm sure for some of their other systems, they have an approach on how they do do that and geofencing the technical end of it. So um, I don't know if that answers your question or if there's yeah, I guess, more yeah, technical that, information on that That's helpful. I think the, the second piece is like, I, I saw on one of the slides, it was talking about like, there are either incentives or penalties for not dropping stuff off or not, you know, leaving stuff in certain areas. I think that's one of the concerns in most communities we hear about deploying these assets and then they're hanging out in, in problematic spots or they're blocking sidewalks or things like that. seems like the parking hubs are the, like, here's where you pick it up and here's where you drop it off. But like, if, if there's no geofencing, like for people, you know, driving to San Anselmo or driving to certain areas with their e-bike, it's just trying to get a sense of how that all is supposed to um, work out, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And just to add, technically, it's very easy to change that service area. So we can, you know, draw it one shape and then decide we want to include or exclude uh, a certain area and we can we can change that real time. Um, additionally, the service area is really just to remind people of uh, sort of where the hubs are. Um, physically, they could take the bike out of the service area, but they have to be back inside it um, and potentially at a hub to, to end that trip. And the specifics of exactly how that works, if we want to incentivize or penalize um, people for ending at hubs um, or not ending at hubs, that's really up to us and the partner communities to decide the nuances. We'll sort of advise on best practices based on other systems. Um, and then sort of the the culture of the community can... Uh, decide how, you know, strict or lenient to be. Um, also, we we tend to start out more lenient and then get stricter as we need to be as we see, you know, misuse and abuse of the system. Great. Very exciting. Thank you very much. Mr. Carl? Uh, along those lines, I know when Bolt was going to come in, we had a very large response in our community. We only have about a four block downtown and people were and it's 16 foot wide sidewalk. So there was a lot of concern among our seniors um, about not having to step around these um, bikes. So most people are very responsible, but we've seen other people aren't. So that's gonna be a big question. Um, so I, I don't wanna get into the other speculations. Um, I know this is gonna be a, this is a smart project, but will it include a hub at uh, Larkspur Ferry Terminal? More than likely, I can assume that because I imagine there's going to be a bit of traffic between the smart station and the ferry terminal to begin with. That is included. Yeah, that is that is that that would be um, something we are planning. We have been in discussions with Golden Gate for quite some time to um, discuss um, parking of bikes or bikes at the ferry. So the the Larkspur um, smart station area would be considered, um, you know, potential locations. We have to circle back with the staff, but we've been um, working with multiple people at uh, Larkspur Public Works Department as well as Golden Gate to discuss the arrangement. And I think if we pick up where we left off, I think they have a pretty good sense of where the needs are. Okay. Well, I mean, it's like we're going to have an apartment complex um, right near Larkspur Landing with 250 that are either one of the people in the units will either be a county employee or a school district employee. And I imagine this would perfect demographic of, you know, where that's going to be needed. Uh, plus there are changes planned for St. Quentin. I would just recommend though that 
and during a um, period of outreach, you do make an effort to try to do a presentation at all of our city councils. I know mine would very much appreciate it. Uh, we were scheduled to meet with Bolt and they suddenly disappeared. And I think that's one of the better ways to at least to be able to tell the community, this is your opportunity, you know, outside of a smaller discussion group to really bring in, raise your questions. But thank you. Commissioner Collin. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Nice to meet you, Amber. This is exciting because of little stop and starts. Um, Amber, you had mentioned about in, in the slide, it talks about an equity program, and I understand that you will have community stakeholder meetings. Could you just describe what that's looked like with uh, previ previous agencies with whom, whom you have worked? Yeah, definitely. We have equity programs in 100% of the markets that we operate. It's something we believe really strongly in. What typically works the best is to have some sort of um, qualification criteria, and that could be, um, you know, a SNAP or Medicaid or, you know, some other program that already uh, exists and does the verification. And then for a nominal fee per month, um, you know, we see anywhere from like four to seven dollars. Uh, a rider who qualifies would be able to use the bike for up to 30 minutes per day of free ride time. Um, and they never pay an unlock fee. So it gives them, you know, plenty of, of time to run errands or commute. Um, again, this can be uh, custom tailored to your community. So if we look at sort of the transportation patterns or we want to increase the amount of ride time due to the large geographic region, um, those are all things we can decide on together. Thank you. I'll, I'll just offer one comment. Um, when you go, when you're sorting out the ROI, I, I sort of would like to see them sort of sooner rather than later. And I think an interesting framework would be, I understand the, the focus on, oh, sorry, Eric. No, go ahead. I could go next. Oh, yeah, no, sorry. I, um, I, uh, I understand the focus on smart, but there's always a lot of interest outside of, of smart. Um, so it'd be interesting if those ROIs were in any way, shape or form able to catch your, how, how it might be. Um, for those communities not directly touched by SMART. Um, Vice Chair Lugan? Yeah, uh, just a, a question about branding. Uh, it's great that these bikes are totally brandable and that the app is brandable. Uh, so given that SCTA is the one that's managed the contract, how is that collaboration going to work and how do we figure out what to name this thing? That's an excellent question. Uh, we've been brainstorming. I don't know if anyone... <laughs> Well, uh, as Scott said, we've just been sort of uh, brainstorming at the staff level uh, so far on names, and we have a few that um, I don't really want to reveal right now, uh, but that, you know, the staff at both agencies like, but we have to do some more research and see if there would be any copyright or trademark type uh, issues uh, with those. But we're certainly open to suggestions if anyone has sort of a fun name that would work in, in two counties. I, I don't, but if, if there's an opportunity to engage uh, the public through some sort of a naming contest, uh, TAM SCTA through their email lists and the bike coalitions, uh, if you crowdsource this a little bit, we might get some some fun names to uh, throw into the mix as well. I, I know that's there's work involved in doing something like that, but if, if there's a way to, to get some thoughts from the individuals that are going to be riding these bikes, it might be a fun way to engage the community and let them know that this bike share is coming. Sounds good. You know, in case you're curious, for $3,195, you can reserve Brian's Bikes.com. I'm just, just putting that out there. Just, just saying. 
I mean, the expenditure plan is open in a couple of years, so we, we've got some time. Um, I think any additional uh, commissioner comments? You know, it's the holiday season. So, Jennifer, why don't we lead off with public comment on Zoom first and then bring it back to the chamber? There's a gift to our friends on Zoom. Warren Wells, please unmute. Hi, this is Warren Wells from the Marin County Bicycle Coalition. Um, just want to say how um, excited I am and, and we are at the coalition for this uh, program to launch. Um, and congratulations to Pam's staff. I know it's been a kind of a tough road to get here through no fault of your own, but uh, really looking forward to working with staff and the, uh, the vendor to make this a success and uh, looking forward to joining you all at the ribbon cutting. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you for those comments. Jennifer, any additional Zoom comment? Yes. Matthew Hartzell, please unmute. Uh, thank you. Thank you. This is Matt Hartzell, WTV TAM, and thank you for a great presentation, Scott and Amber. Um, we're really excited. This program is launching, and I'm sorry I couldn't be there in person tonight to see the prototype, but I look forward to trying it out in the field many times. Um, I'm curious to see where all the hubs will be located, obviously at smart stations, but the, the ones that are more outside of the smart stations, I'm curious to see. So I don't know if there's a map that could be published soon, but that would be useful information to see ahead of time. And in the spirit of Bike Share and um, also TAM's mobility hub planning project that they're just getting started with, um, we wanted to talk a little bit about the Smart Civic Center Station, which we think has the potential to be the preeminent mobility hub and a great location for Bike Share in Marin County. Um, the Civic Center Smart Station is the intersection of multiple regional pathways. It connects the two halves of North San Rafael, which are divided by 101, with a grade-separated access under the freeway. Um, it's got existing pathways like the North-South Greenway, the North San Rafael Promenade to the Civic Center, and there's other major pathways that are currently in development, like the North San Rafael Promenade to Northgate Town Square, the Rafael Meadows to Venetia Valley School Safe Pathways Project. And um, we at WTB TAM also have some recommendations um, to make this into an even better in, um, regional mobility hub, which is for SMART to build 15 parking spaces, including ADA, park and ride, and rideshare drop-off on the east side of the freeway, and for the city of San Rafael to build class four protected bike lanes on both sides of Civic Center Drive and behind the parking lot, and probably for additional bike share, and maybe it could be through drop um, to be added to this area to really serve the important connections. And uh, my colleague, will Patrick, will talk more about that in a second. Jennifer, any additional public comment online? I don't see any additional hands raised at this time, Chair. Oh, let's bring it back to the room. Hi, Patrick. <laughs> Welcome. What a surprise. Um, good evening, Patrick Sider, WTBTM again, and uh, thank you, Scott. I thought that was a tremendous presentation, and you know, uh, Scott and Tam have been working on this for a number of years and really done a tremendous job. Had a little bit of a setback, but it's great to see it coming back, and I think it's really going to take some of the um, trans transit system to another level, and so we're really looking forward to participating in the process, and we did want to use the Civic Center stationary to kind of show, like, maybe the optimal embodiment of it, so it's easy for you to see how it might be implemented. And so if you look at the picture here, what, what makes the Civic Center Station so unique and so interesting is it's got the grade separation and the multimodal transportation system underneath it. So you don't have as much car conflict with the pedestrians and cyclists. 
And so what we're thinking here is, is like, and, and looking forward to talking to you about it, but we think there's an opportunity not only for what, what's the, what Tam's talking about with the ride share, but, or the, the share bike, but, um, but also possibly getting some private sector because the segment of the greenway is being completed over the Las Galinas, South Fork of Las Galinas up to uh, McGinnis Parkway right now. And the, the embassy suites is probably going to be all of a sudden the, the, it's open for them to have a, uh, maybe a private uh, uh, bike share up there, you know, going down to Smart and dropping it down at the station down there. And how about the Civic Center? It's one of the biggest traffic generators in the county and taking people down from the, the uh, Smart train up to the Civic Center. So, and then we've got the Northgate putting in a thousand housing units. And we've already talked to them about that, about working on a private bike share going back and forth from Northgate down to the uh, to this center here. But so it's just, although we're focusing on this, what it allows you to do is kind of see the, the greater opportunities that exist. And so we're looking forward to working with you on that. We really think this is a great next step. And I want to thank you very much, Scott, for the great job and for the Transportation Authority of Marin for all the good work they've done on it. Thank you. Thank you. So we'll uh, any, I'm not seeing any additional public comment in the chambers. This is a discussion item. Do any of my commissioners have any closing comments? Great, well, uh, thank you, Amber. Thank you, Scott. I'd like to thank WTP Dam for sort of going with the flow with Zoom and then in the room. We'll now move on to our final item of the night. This is a discussion item, Marin Commutes Program Evaluation Update. Scott. I see you still sitting on the holiday seat. I'm not going anywhere. Thanks, uh, Chair, Commissioners. This is our last item of the night, and I'm happy to introduce uh, Nicole Hilaire with Convey. Uh, we're going to co-present this tonight. Uh, this is a program update on our Marine Commutes program and evaluation of the program. Um, first time we've done this type of evaluation of this program. Um, the next slide, please. So Marin Commutes uh, launched as a new branded and public facing program back in 2019, um, got affected by the pandemic, like our bike share program. Um, and we kind of sort of went through a relaunch um, of the program in 2022, brought on a new consultant convey uh, to help manage the program um, and updated marincommutes.org, which is um, kind of the, the focal point of this program. Next slide, please. Um, just a quick overview, uh, Marine Commute, uh, which integrated a lot of uh, former incentives, um, different uh, mode shift types of incentives uh, TAM had been offering for um, several years to one um, uh, comprehensive program. Um, and features a variety of outreach uh, mechanisms, community meetings with employers, employees, um, we do a lot of outreach online through website posts, social media, newsletters, um, communication with employers, employees, a uh, variety of uh, campaigns. Um, we used to offer seasonal mode shift campaigns. And then in 2022, we moved towards kind of an ongoing uh, mode shift um, campaign called Marine Commutes Rewards. Um, and that's featured through um, a website and software platform offered by the company Ride Amigos, where people can log green trips, uh, access credit. Um, towards gift cards on an ongoing basis. So that's become a core feature of the program since 2022. Uh, while we continue to offer some of the mainstay programs such as uh, emergency ride home and the van pool incentive program. Um, so in 2022 in March, um, kicked off a period of review where we reviewed the program over a 16 month period from March 20, 2022 until June two, 2023. Uh, next slide, please. 
so this is the first time we've attempted to do this uh, using uh, new metrics um, that we've developed through the Measure B vehicle registration fee amendment process, whereby we uh, established these uh, metrics that we would uh, evaluate the program as this is uh, partially funded through the Measure B vehicle registration fee under um, element 3.2. Um, so yeah, this could serve as a baseline for evaluating the program over time. Next slide, please. I'm gonna turn it over to Nicole. Thanks. Can you hear me okay? Um, thanks, Scott, and um, good evening, commissioners. Thanks for having us here today. Um, so this presentation really is a snapshot of our work over the past 16 months um, and also a look to the future of the program. Um, so during the reporting period that Scott had mentioned, um, the Marin Commutes program had a number of successful community events. Um, we had 18 community meetings, presentations, and events um, with groups such as Novato Leadership Institute and Mill Valley Earth Day. We also had over 12 uh, employer meetings, presentations, and events um, with the City of Ren uh, San Rafael, Marin Health, Marin County Office of Education, so some of those employee and wellness fairs. Um, so in addition, um, we saw a lot of digital engagement. Uh, we had uh, approximately 4,000 new visitors to the website, uh, and so primarily um, visiting the website uh, one to two times. Um, we saw top sources of website traffic were Google, Facebook, and 511.org. We had good reach on social media. So throughout the reporting period, we had 35 posts and our reach was 93,000. And we also sent out uh, approximately 20 newsletters or emails uh, across the duration of um, the reporting period. Next slide. So in terms of participation in the program, um, we evaluated that with a number of the metrics that were brought um, forward uh, through uh, the Measure B. Um, so we saw an increase in about 60 subscribers, um, both to the newsletter ma mailing list and also to social media. Um, we had uh, a new uh, subnetwork within the employer, uh, within the rewards program um, with the city of San Rafael. And we saw an increase of, uh, we about doubled our registration within the Marin Commutes Rewards Program um, with 571 new users registered during the period. Of those, we saw that 312 were active during any given month, um, so having logged at least one trip per that month. Um, in addition, we had a steady, um, a steady number of van pools throughout the reporting period and added one um, during this time, um, taking uh, in coordination with Marin Community Clinics, um, going from Sonoma to Novato. Next slide. So during the evaluation period, we also uh, received and leveraged funding from a number of TAM initiatives and partners, um, including the Commute 37 Carpool Program and the Connect to Transit Program. So in addition to fostering new relationships um, with a number of uh, employers and CBOs, we also strengthened our relationship with those like the County of Marin. Um, some of the new partners that we've engaged in a more robust fashion are the City of San Rafael, 
um, we created a subnetwork for this group and developed an incentive program together. We worked with Kaiser to open, um, who's open to piloting new programs like the Connect to Transit project. Um, and as I mentioned, we set up a new CARP um, van pool uh, with Marin Community Clinics. We also conducted interviews um, to forge better relationships with uh, six CBOs in particular to get a better sense of their um, organization's functions, their audiences that they serve, and to build rapport with these groups. Next slide. So um, in terms of impact of the program, um, impact is measured from primarily the Marin Commutes Rewards Program alone. Um, our 100 and um, our 100, 1,189 registered users logged a total of 40,000 trips um, over the duration of the period, saving what would have been 814,000 miles of SOV trips. And this translated to 200 tons of CO2 emissions saved. I also wanna call attention to another metric or another type of impact that we've assessed through the program. So since it can be difficult to measure impact of programs like Emergency Ride Home, we asked survey takers about some of the psychological impacts of the program. And what we found is that 67% of those survey takers um, reported that knowing the program exists uh, made them more comfortable taking alternative modes of transportation. Um, so not the hard metric that we're used to, um, but one that helps us understand um, the value of the program to the community. Next slide. So next I'll turn to some of our program recommendations that are rooted in the successes of the year and lessons learned, in addition to feedback from the employers and CBOs that we worked with. Next slide. Thank you. So our team led a prioritization exercise with the program team to determine what's next. Our recommendations spanned five categories of engagement and outreach, including digital promotion, collaboration and partnerships, employer outreach, equitable outreach, and additional programs and policies to consider. So we brought these recommendations to the TDM working group, where we heard support for these and other initiatives, like coordinating with transit operators um, to promote marine commutes to transit pass holders, monitoring the Smart Connect shuttle expansion, continuing to utilize the Chambers of Commerce to expand program awareness, and focusing employer outreach on the service industry with large employers like Safeway and Whole Foods. Next slide. So while the focus of the prior reporting period included uh, robust CBO and employer outreach, relaunching the year-round uh, rewards program, as Scott had mentioned, and developing performance metrics, our team is focusing on relationship building, continuing support of commute alternatives and trip reduction, and increasing the return on investment of the rewards program. Um, so what you'll see uh, noted here is just a quick summary of the reporting period metrics from the 16 month period and our anticipated uh, results for the uh, upcoming period um, while doubling down on our marketing efforts. Um, so in some cases, we anticipate um, large increases like our website traffic. We anticipate increasing 
uh, participation in the Marine Commutes Rewards Program and um, with partner and employer contacts by approximately 50%. And we anticipate impact the impact um, increasing by at least 20%. So with these priorities in mind, we'll implement a variety of different strategies. Next slide. So some of the strategies that we're pursuing over the upcoming reporting period involve promoting marine commutes and the individual programs um, through transit advertisements. Um, so these are, we're pursuing physical advertising on buses and at bus stops um, with SMART and with Golden Gate. This would also be a good opportunity to partner with DROP um, to include sponsorship with On the Bikes. Promoting the program via TAM and Marine Commutes uh, channels, their website, social media, and various newsletters. And using paid social media advertising to drive Marine residents and workers to the Marine Commutes Rewards platform and emergency ride homes, ride home pages in particular. Next slide. So in addition to um, increasing awareness, we also want to continue leveraging funding and partnerships throughout the process. So um, for example, um, we are developing um, ready to use materials that can be deployed um, easily by our partners, um, including community-based organizations, employers, and elected officials. We anticipate continuing to participate in community events and adding new employer networks and promoting some of the regional incentives um, like the CARB e-bike vouchers and transit operator discounts as um, new ones unfold. Next slide. Um, so based on our recommendations, we've already begun updating two of our programs uh, to increase their impact. Um, in particular, we um, updated the rewards ladder um, shown on the left um, to transition our, um, or our reporting um, from trips to days and combining levels one and two of the rewards ladder. Um, these changes make it clearer for participants and are how some of our peer agencies are reporting, um, including commute.org and the City of San Rafael subnetwork. Um, and these also simplify the process um, and spreads our funding further as participation grows. For the Emergency Ride Home program, we're working with Sonoma and SMART to expand eligibility to include transit delays and other disruptions, um, as well as including tipping for drivers. Next slide. So going forward, we've identified a number of activities to conduct on a monthly basis and several seasonal or quarterly campaigns as well. Um, so on a monthly basis, we anticipate um, continuing to um, provide our partners with a toolkit uh, via eBlast, um, paid advertisement, um, and in, in addition, those community um, networking um, and other events. And in terms of our quarterly campaigns for quarter one, um, we are just about to kick off our New Year Commute Challenge. Um, in the spring, we will focus on active modes of transportation, um, which also um, seems to hopefully be aligning with the drop um, kickoff as well. Uh, in the summer, we'll switch gears to focus on transit um, leading into transit month. And then in the next fall, um, we will focus on our shared modes of transportation with ride share and carpool month approaching. 
um, in addition to promoting um, some of those other incentives. The next slide. So thanks again for listening um, to this update. Um, and I'd also like us to uh, make a special thank you to the CAR Ad Hoc Committee for their um, contributions to an earlier version of this report. Thank you so much. Back to you, Scott. That, that concludes the presentation. Um, thanks so much for uh, listening to the presentation. And if you have any questions or comments, uh, we'd be happy to take them. You're in my wheelhouse. It's the owner of Sausalito Taxi. I have a few comments and questions. I did notice that you specifically read, uh, mentioned Sausalito Villages and Tricia Smith and all the good work that she does down there. But one of the advantages of um, Sausalito is that they did separate their transportation out of the village part of it. There's the cars program. Um, I noticed you're mentioning in the report, you are going to contact the other villages. Um, both they have a central office and individuals. Um, but that is a organization that charges, I believe, 400 a year or something it may vary among the different ones. And so that gets into legal questions. If they don't separate the driver program and open it to everybody, we get legal entanglements. And I just, I've been trying to meet with the different ones. And so that's an issue. I've got my mouth shut because that's not my area of expertise. That's for the lawyers and staff people. Uh, but it's just something to be aware of that Sausalito is a little unique. But I would. At the last Marine Transit meeting, there were a lot of questions about why the ride-on-demand services that serve our elderly and handicapped communities haven't come back. And the numbers have not gone up. I'd commensurate with what happens with our public transportation. As the father of someone who, 40-year-old, developmentally and physically disabled, um, he was so furious at his treatment when it was all under a previous organization, you'll never get on a one of those vans again. And there's no reasoning with him. Um, and other members of his day program felt the same way. So the day program started their own service now and reimburses their drivers. Um, they share something similar with most of the senior women that I've dealt with and who I've referred to various churches and the Sausalito cars program um, that but those two populations in particular prefer the same driver all the time. I have customers who will literally reschedule their hair appointments to when I'm available because they don't want to take anybody else than me and when I get them into these programs, the ones that have financial difficulties, they never come back. They, they latch on to that relationship. And so it's just something to be aware of with that particular community. Um, I would add to your list, I know the Interfaith Council does good work, but I would contact individual churches. I've been in contact with the four 
in my community. And there's a lot of informal uh, transportation like that. And I think if they were aware of the reimbursements that are available, plus you can offer them the security of doing background checks on the drivers. Some of these smaller organizations just don't know what to do. And they're taking on a potential huge liability if something did go wrong. And so that might be a very good selling point um, to these smaller organizations. And I would ask, um, you include the SPAR Center, S-P-A-H-R. Uh, they serve, they do a lot of good work with the uh, AIDS um, community and also the LGBTQ plus, got it right, in uh, trans youth uh, transportation. It's a very unique population that uh, has particular safety concerns. So I would recommend them to the one organization I didn't see mentioned is College of Marin, which has both a large um, staff and of course outreach to the student population at both campuses, I would think would be a natural market um, to approach. Um, and that's it, thank you. Commissioner Moulton Peters. Yeah, Scott, thank you for the report. I always like hearing what you're doing and thank you also uh, our consultant. You know, I, I wanna comment that this is, um, this work is really labor intensive, but it is the alternative to building more highways and infrastructure, which is uh, still, you know, on the future forecast uh, for California is just build more uh, at some point. So I bring this up because I continue to think this is an opportunity for Marin to um, display our live lightly on the land values and our more relationship oriented way of being in this county by trying to promote more of this, the ride share and more throughput with the infrastructure we have. Uh, and again, it's it's kind of the soft side of things. It's, it's not so heroic, but I do think it's worth pursuing uh, every way that we can uh, because it, it is an alternative to just more concrete. Uh, so anyway, my two cents, and I'm glad we're doing this and let's keep growing it. Commissioner Catrano? Yeah, I really appreciate that comment uh, from Commissioner Moulton Peters, especially since uh, my community last night uh, approved our housing element finally. But uh, we had the, the comments that we were receiving from Caltrans and when we're thinking about reducing VMT, it was all about TDM, not to use all these acronyms, sorry, but you know, transportation demand management. And the like, if we can crack the code on how some of these programs work for current and future employers, it's going to be a huge benefit for all of our communities. So I just want to plus one that comment. Thank you. See no other commissioner uh, comments. Any public comment in the room? Patrick's busy. Any, <laughs> any public comment online, Jennifer? Yes. Uh, Terrell, please unmute. Hi, everyone. Um, thanks for having me. Terrell Kellaway, Executive Director uh, for Marin County Bicycle Coalition and um, Vice Mayor for San Anselmo as of Tuesday. 
Um, so thank you so much for having this program. This is a really great program. We um, are always getting asked to do this kind of work and it's just really beyond the scope of what we're able to do as the Bicycle Coalition. Um, I really appreciate the data you're collecting. Um, I do, however, um, I, I'm concerned that we, you know, tracking behavior change is the trickiest part. Um, we can look at um, how many people are using the program, um, but we don't necessarily know how many of them would be riding anyways if it weren't for the rewards um, and, and that they're just going online um, to track something that they would already be doing. Who knows? Um, regardless, I think that the um, the work you're doing to collaborate with businesses is really just the most important thing that you're doing in this program. Um, it's, um, you know, business employers, they can incentivize their employees um, in ways that we really can't as um, public and nonprofit um, entities. And um, really, you know, there are toolkits, I'm sure that the consultant is aware of that the League of American Bicyclists puts out that can help employee employers um, make their um, facilities more bicycle friendly um, to people who want to get get there on on bus or on bike. Um, I'm also very interested in how um, the awards program might intersect with the, the new bike share program. So um, hopefully we'll see a big uptick there. Um, and then um, I just wanted to also um, recommend that, you know, Marin County Bicycle Coalition um, offers on bike safety education. Um, and so we would love to partner with you um, both to get more information out about this program, but also to um, offer our on bike um, safety programs um, to our community as well as as more of them are biking, especially with e-bikes, which can go faster and as we're in public health has discovered um, cause um, uh, health problems. Right, I'm running. Thank you. Okay, we're thank a you. over time. Okay. Call away. <laughs> thank you. Um, any additional commissioner comments? Uh, well, this is not an action item. Before we adjourn, on behalf of my colleagues, I'd like to wish all of the TAM staff a very safe, happy, and peaceful holidays. And I would personally like to wish the same to my fellow commissioner. Meeting adjourned.